Welcome to Frictionless Marketing, an exploration of how modern marketers are building their brands, reaching their audiences, and thriving in this post-advertising world. Welcome back to Frictionless Marketing. Pam Forbes is the Chief Marketing Officer of Pernod Ricard North America, a role she's had since July 2020. In this position, Pam oversees the marketing strategy for brands like Absolute, Jameson, Avion, Chivas Regal, and multiple other major wine, spirits, and champagne brands. Prior to joining Pernod Ricard, Pam worked for multiple major companies, including the Walt Disney Company and PepsiCo. In this conversation with Lippy Taylor CEO Paul Dyer, Pam gets into the importance of corporate social responsibility, being data-centric versus creatively driven, and absolute vodka's foray into the metaverse. All of this and so much more on today's episode of Frictionless Marketing. Pam, first of all, let me start by just saying thank you so much for joining us here today. Um, I'm pleasure to be here. Well, thank you. We're, we're looking forward to speaking with you. And we're right on the heels of an important announcement that you've made at Pernod Ricard. We just finished up with Earth Day and Pernod Ricard made a, a pretty big announcement. You're going to be more involved um, as a partner of the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. And maybe um, rather than me just glossing over, that'd be good to hear you talk a little bit about what that is and, and how Pernod Ricard is thinking differently about the role of CSR in your business. Yeah, a great question. Really, really excited and proud of what the company's doing here. Look, it, it starts with the the overall c- company um, mission is is creators of conviviality. It, you know, we're a French company. That's a French term, but it really just means you know valuing and and um, appreciating and that the magic of human connection, uh, and that's that's our mission. And, and when when you think about sustainability efforts, it's it's holistic. Of course, it's environmental sustainability. It's also sh- what we call social sustainability. Um, we definitely want our business to also have growth and be sustainable. So it's a return on investment and a return on responsibility. Um, we are one of the only, I think we are the only uh, wine and spirits organization that is recognized as a UN global um, lead company. So we're really proud of that. We've been doing it for years. We have really strong um, sustainability development goals. And um, we're, you know, really far ahead in, in some of those spaces, but we've, you know, we've got goals out into, you know, 2030. The partnership with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation is really about, um, you know, we have a responsibility to be custodians of the earth. We, you know, we grow grapes, we go grow grains. And, and, and it's really important that we work together with our farmers to, to deliver sustainable um, uh, earth. And that includes, you know, all of the things that, that go into making and selling our products. Um, you know, we've, we've gotten rid of all single use plastics, for example, we, we have a continued effort to uh, look at sustainable packaging and, and um, our promotional materials. So very strong commitment. Uh, there's always a um, opportunity, you know, to, to deliver additional growth, but we will not, not do it at, and sacrifice, um, you know, our, some of our, uh, our goals. Really proud of the community. So these, this, this foundation has real experts on, you know, taking care of the earth and, um, we're happy to, to leverage that as we try to advance our goals to beyond even what we thought we could do. Mm-hmm. That's great. I'd, I'd love to pick up on something that you mentioned in passing, which is you know your your brand of conviviality. 
And, um, you know, for those who haven't been to your office, I mean, it is a, it's a, there's a massive sign on the wall that says conviviality. And my question, I guess, is, do you think about that as a purely corporate um, brand sort of asset, or is it something that really is meant to be interpreted into the, the brands themselves, you know, the, the actual products you sell? Yep, definitely both. So we have things that we're doing at a corporate level and things that each brand is doing. Now, unique to that brand's um, DNA, it has to be authentic. So how Absolute would, would show up would be very different than Jameson, for example. So, but it all does ladder to conviviality or human connection, or, you know, in some cases it's out and loud about diversity and inclusion. Um, and, and of course, you know, Absolute's been there for 40 years. So they have a really strong, right and authentic um, voice to, to be part of that. So, um, Mm -hmm. that may, may not work for a different brand. Mm -hmm. That makes complete sense. And another important word you used there was responsibility and responsibly, which of course is a, a word that we do associate with the um, spirits industry. Um, one of your first campaigns when you joined Pernod Ricard was the Engage Responsibly campaign, which is a, a really advanced effort to combat hate speech online um, and in addition to obviously more than that. Um, so um, can you talk us through sort of the genesis of this idea and how sure. is it going today? It, it was my very first week on the job um, in June, 2020. Um, the, the Facebook boycott by marketers had been announced and it was my first question. Are we gonna join the boycott? Like, should we or shouldn't we? And um, I had just come from Disney Studios where I had witnessed real bad actors manipulating things like movie ratings on Rotten Tomatoes. And so um, had hired, you know, advanced analytics groups. And, and we, we were able to combat a lot of that working with um, Fandango, which owns Rotten Tomatoes uh, to kind of change, you, know, you can Google it. They changed uh, how ratings were being done because we were able to help them close some gaps on the technology of it all. But, you know, th this is a whack-a-mole situation. It's, I said, of course we have to join the boycott, but it's not gonna do anything. It's, it's gonna come right, like one month later, then what? So let's do it, but let's think about a real solution here. And just riffing with my boss, we, we talked about, wouldn't it be great, since it's a whack-a-mole situation, wouldn't it be great if we could just um, get, you know, millions of eyeballs on it and and get better um get better sort of self-policing you know in in the in these environments so engage responsibly was something we stood up we, we we invested a lot to to build some tech to build a brand to build a website and it's really an industry thing we um worked with the ana we realized we can't do this alone this is not something one company can tackle it's just something we all have a responsibility to do so, you know, the analogy for me is we all have a role to play in environmental sustainability. We're all recycling, we're all doing our best, right? And the companies are also doing their best to control emissions and whatnot. How, how, how we think about our social environments is just as important. These social platforms are important to human, um, it's how we connect. It's important to small businesses. In some cases, that's the only way they, they will survive by 
you know, leveraging these platforms. So we want them to be around for a long time and be be places um, where we can clean up the environment of the these places. So we we donated the entire um, platform and IP to the ANA. Um, and we have been sharing it with all of the, these companies and beyond. And we've had over 85 companies sign up to wow. be part of the Engage Responsibly um, program. You'll hear more about it soon. We're going to start a, a, a media campaign and um, some some tools for small businesses and, uh, you know, how they can, you know, attack, uh, you know, protect themselves because they don't have some of the tech and, and agency support that we do. So it, it's, it's definitely brand safety, but it's m more than that. Mm -hmm. So one thing that um, tends to be true of um, people like yourself who sit in the corporate suite and then also work with the products and the brands is sometimes it's a different hat. You know, mm -hmm. you kind of have to change hats. And so thinking of changing hats here, so we go from engage responsibly and you also have a brand campaign that is sex responsibly. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe, do you want to talk a little bit about sexing responsibly versus engaging sure. responsibly? <laughs> funny. It's too funny. We, we actually have a whole responsibility campaign for apps under apps. So we call it our instigation act. So it's not really a marketing campaign as much as it is sort of um if, if the brand could talk, what would it say? How would it be provocative? And Absolute's always been sort of on the forefront of, of culture and movement. So we really felt the brand had a right to say it. And it was a 2020 Valentine's Day. Um, and uh, the, the, the taboo topic of what does alcohol, what role does alcohol play in um, consent? And so we, you know, we, we took it head on and we said, you know, yes is yes and engage in sex responsibly. So you can't use alcohol as an excuse. Mm -hmm. um, so it was pretty provocative. We tried to get, you know, crash sort of the culture by being provocative and, and tackling a taboo topic in the spirits industry and absolute took it head on. It's really proud. Oh. That's great. And, you know, you have such diverse and interesting brands, you know, at your disposal and, and absolute to your point, one of those brands that really knows who it is. Mm -hmm. um, and before we leave that brand, you also have something that I think probably a lot of our listeners are going to be jealous of, not that they're probably not jealous of all of these assets, to be honest, um, is absolute is one of the earlier brands to launch in the metaverse at Coachella this year, you launched absolute land. Um, so can you tell us about the activation, kind of your overall thoughts on the metaverse? And then also, I'd love to hear a little bit about how did it go? Did it work? Did it accomplish, you know, what you were expecting? Um, but uh, so yeah. absolute land, let's go there. So it, it's super exciting and in, very interesting story. Believe it or not, we stood that up in six weeks in insane amount of speed. Um, we could. Absolute's always been part of Coachella for, for 10 years. They've been the official vodka of Coachella. I'm new to the company. I didn't know that. Did you know that? 10 years of relationship with, with Coachella? No. no. So as a marketer and, and as a, I'm, I'm formerly data and analytics, I'm like, well, there's no real ROI in that if no one knows about it. Like Coachella is such a cultural event. Like how do we get known for, how do I get known for it beyond people going to the festival? How do I get more reach? When we, when we shut, when, things shut down and we took all of our 
activation money and, and all of these sponsorships and events and even restaurants and bars, we, we didn't take all that A&P and have a windfall in profits. We actually poured it into media. So we doubled, in some cases, tripled some brands' media budgets because of, we shut all, a lot of this down. And we, we noticed, hey, that works. It has huge reach. Like media actually works. So we didn't really want to take any money and go back, but we were in some long-term contracts. So we, we have Coachella for three more years, for example. And I said, we need to show how we can actually make it work. How can you get more scale and more impressions? And I said, can we do some live streaming? We were just brainstorming. And I put a little slam team together and they came back and said, let's go into the metaverse. And I was like, Ooh, I'm, you know, we had just seen all these headlines of things that were going wrong. Right. And, um, I'm like, oh, this is scary, but what the hell? Why not? Like, let's swing for the fences here. And so we, when you say, did it work? Like it far, far exceeded our expectations. So first of all, you know, UEG being the, the lead brand um, agency there just brought together some stellar developers and um, coders and, and really quickly we stood something up. Ogilvy had just done a new, um, master brand look feel and and we um brought that into the metaverse and then we we said we need to do we need a bit of a twist on this though it's really not about the metaverse it's about how can we bring in real life and in virtual together and have like a combined experience so it's it's both so our our coachella tent was designed to look like our metaverse space we had we had a lot of opportunity for the people in the tent to to interact in the metaverse. So you could go over to a kiosk and become the bartender in the metaverse and give away wearables to people that were in the metaverse. So you could interact. Um, we had um, QR codes in the tent where you could actually try on some of those wearables, you know, as a as a augmented reality like stunt. Um, we served the same cocktails. We um, partnered with Swedish House Mafia, which was also one of the headliners. And we, we have a long relationship with that band and they came back after 10 years. And so we helped them drop their new album and we were playing music in both spaces. So again, I could go on and on. There were over 10 different activities in the metaverse. And we, we really, I just said, let's take, it's a two week stunt. Let's two weeks see, test and learn because maybe there's something here. Maybe there's not, it's two weeks. What the heck? Um, and it far exceeded. We we had over uh, 1.3 billion earned impressions because the press went crazy on it. So it really wasn't about the the 4,000 people that came into our metaverse uh, absolute land and had a ball, which they did. <laughs> um, it was about getting known that hey, absolute's doing some cool shit, right? <laughs> That's yeah. what you want. That's what you want the consumers to think. And it's like, hey, they're they're on the leading edge of something. Maybe you know. I should give them a second chance. So, yeah, that's uh, and I love the door you just opened there with, you know, you may not know this, but Lippy Taylor, we call ourselves the first earned marketing agency. Oh. And, you know, so this idea of doing things worth talking about earned creative, right, which is a bigger concept earned creative. Um, obviously, that's what you're you're talking about there. And it it played out in the sense that well, people talked about it, right? Yes, right the media, right. obviously, but no doubt others. Um, By I'm the way, we, we sold over the three weekends, because the third weekend is Stagecoach, almost as much vodka as, as there was 
Pete's uh, te- tequila, which was a first. Like tequila, way wow. over indexes, especially in California and in these events. And it wasn't because they were, you know, wanting vodka over tequila. It was that our experience was an incredible experience, and they loved our cocktails. And um, it just really it was it was a really good learning experience that we're trying to now codify all that learnings and see what, what do we do next. I mean, that's a great case study, and it's inspiring to hear. Um, in terms of, as you think, to your point about what's next, you know, this idea of doing things worth talking about, obviously there's media, right? And media can drive a lot of growth and all of that. These types of things are a little bit less predictable, they right? Are. So, so when you think about um, the role of earned creative like this in the marketing mix, um, you know, what are your thoughts in terms of, you know, how it fits. Yeah, I, I think, so let's go back to the instigation acts of um, Absolute. We did sex responsibly. We followed that up with vote responsibly during the elections. Drink, for, uh, vote first, drink second. <laughs> it was a <laughs> bit of a stunt there. And we, we were on television for the first time in, in years and during the, you know, the um, election results night. Um, we then did mix responsibly as things started to open back up. It was about being respectful. Some people want to wear masks. Some people don't like, like honor each other's let's, let's get back together and mix responsibly. And of those three, we, you know, we were tracking earned media and you would have thought maybe sex responsibly or vote would have, you know, outdone mix because um, hot topics, the election, provocative sex responsibly, but mix responsibly had over four and a half billion impressions between our earned and paid. I, I, I can split out the, the details of earned, but what I think the, the magic was and the same with the metaverse is you got to know what's hot right now. What, what is, what's in culture right now? Where are consumers right now? And figure out a way for a brand to authentically be a part of it. Um, and and we just hit we hit a chord with with mixed responsibly because everyone was thinking about oh I got to go back out into the world again how do I do this so um, we got we got a lot of people asking to talk about it we we got some you know influencers that just wanted to talk about it so I, I think that's the key that but this is really hard work like to to be able to act that fast to get something put together that fast. Um, to, to build something in the metaverse in six weeks, it's insane. Like I, I have people asking me all the time, how'd you do it? How'd you do it? Yes, we had great partners, but we had frictionless approvals happening, you know, like mm-hmm. big companies, things get bogged down. I don't know if we should do this. You know, if we would let too many people in on that decision, it wouldn't have happened. <laughs> mm-hmm. So for people who are trying to think to themselves right now, I'd love to emulate that. Besides just saying skip the lawyers, are there any other <laughs> any other advice? No, yeah, any other advice you would give them? Um, look, I think you got to keep the the t- team very small and very tight. And the more people and the more layers, it's just you know, and, and figure out how to have a direct line to to the ultimate decision maker and and earn have some tr- earned trust there to, to like be able to go go fast. Yep. And and say we don't know if it's going to work. Like this is a test and learn opportunity. It could been it could have been a disaster. We just didn't know. Like, um, and 
you know, we almost, I, I think Decentraland told us we almost like froze their servers because it, it was just, everyone was trying to get there at the same time. And we had, we had 600 avatars waiting for it to open. <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> That's great. Waiting for it to open. <laughs> what, an, what an experience. Yeah, it was fun. Um, so you, you've mentioned a couple times things that sort of lead us in the direction of data and analytics and, you, you know, following the data, understanding what is what's, you know, topical in culture, meeting consumers where they are, all that. That's obviously your background, right? You've, you've gotten to the CMO seat through the data and insights path, not the creative path or the sales path or, you know, whatever. Yeah. I'm curious, does that make, how does that change the way you look at performing the job, you know, and, and being also now the steward of the creative and all of those, those things. It's a great question. First of all, never thought I'd be here. I'm like, pinch me. This is amazing. Um, but it did perfectly prepare me, I think, for where marketing is today. Um, so much ad tech, martech data needs, you know, driving, you know, modern, what I call modern marketing machine. Um, you have to bring in a lot of experts. So my my marketing team, my brand team's very small, but I have deep expertise in media and uh, content and culture and inclusivity experts. And um, so our we operate as a, as a team sport. Um, and everybody talks about being consumer centric. And a lot of it, it's not that people don't wanna be consumer centric. I don't really think they know how to operationalize it. It's, it's definitely a desire. And for me, it, I don't see a line between consumer and data. The data we're looking at is consumer data. So if you're going to be consumer centric, why not be data informed and data led and make your decisions based on data? Because that is the consumer response, consumer reaction. So um, I'm, I try to be very dispassionate about the work we're doing and and be informed and led by the data because that's the answer. It, and it's hard. I will say it was easy as an insights and analytics person to just be more blunt. But as you get really emotionally tied into these campaigns, you have to fight against your desire of, oh, but I really just want to run it. No, nope, we got to fix it. It's not testing well. It's not delivering. We've got to go back to the drawing board and figure this out. So um, I call myself the Moneyball marketer. After you know, <laughs> Moneyball marketer, money. I love it. Yeah, and that's hard, but it, that's what we're trying to do. And um, it's helpful because the ultimate arbiter of what's the right thing to do is, is the consumer. So for those who are listening that are earlier in their careers, they see you just said you never thought you were going to get to this seat. Here you are. Um, what advice would you give them in terms of career steps they should take, skills they should focus on, just, uh, you know, approaches or mindsets to embrace. It's, thank you for asking, because um, I have thought about it. Uh, I don't think there is one path, and I don't, I think there are multiple types of CMOs in the world, and, and every company has a different sort of need. So when you get that opportunity, you know, just make sure it's a real good match for your philosophy, because if your philosophy is different than your other C-suite leaders, and that includes sales, finance, and your CEO, there's going to be a, a tough go. And, and we know that some CMOs are brought in thinking they're going to do one thing, they want to do something different, and it's a short tenure. We see that all the time. I think um, I, I, I heard this in a, um, a forum 
for CMOs that um, I think it was Corn Ferry or no, it was Spencer Stewart had done an analysis of the job descriptions for new CMO postings from 2019 to 2021. And only a third of the skill sets were the same. Two thirds new skill sets <laughs> for a CMO. So the role of CMO is really changing. And it, that's why you hear things like, we don't have a CMO, we have a chief growth officer. Because um, the, the role of the CMO is really, it's at, it's at the center of a cross-functional need to drive business impact. If marketing isn't driving business impact, um, then th that's going to be tough. So you, you might have marketers more or so in the past that were really focused on creative and um, um, marketing plans that, you know, I call them vanity metrics that, that, you know, got a lot of likes, a lot of shares, part of the conversation in Twitter, like that is their goalpost. But if they're not driving the business results, it's, it's a short lived situation, right? So mm -hmm a well-rounded understanding of business and knowing the business cold and what drives the business and partnering with the sales and finance organizations to really build marketing that's going to work. So I tell my um, team that I really want to stop calling ourselves marketers. If we're doing it right, if we're driving the business and we're driving strong brand value and equity, we are market makers, not marketers. And market makers. Market makers. We're delivering value to the to to the world and driving growth and business growth. Um, and you only do that by really understanding what drives your business and, and the fundamentals of that. And being able to speak the language of business in the C-suite is really important. Um, so I come at it from a holistic view. Insights and analytics today support sales. They support marketing. They support finance. So um, I did have that background and I think I, I was what was needed for this company at this moment. Um, and we've, we're accelerating our growth, it's good. <laughs> well, and it's, and it's clear you have a vision, that vision of market makers and something you can articulate to the team that they can actually understand and align to. Um, it's clear Pernod is gonna be going exciting places. So um, Pam, I think we're at time here. Thank you so much for sharing your insights and your stories, um, some of the behind the scenes. I think people are really gonna be excited to hear this. Oh, thank you for inviting me, I really enjoyed it. All right, here as always are some key takeaways from this conversation with Pam. Number one, be a market maker, not a marketer. When asked what skills aspiring marketing leaders should acquire, Pam cited that a core understanding of what drives the business and a cross-functional awareness of working with sales and finance departments to determine what really sells products is everything. Pam cautioned that marketers should not focus on vanity metrics like likes, shares, and impressions, but instead focus on bottom line sales drivers. She also furthered this with the following distinction towards being a force in the marketplace. If we're doing it right, if we're driving the business and we're driving strong brand value equity, we are market makers, not marketers. Number two, don't just jump on protest bandwagons. Be part of the solution. When the Facebook boycott occurred, Pam and her organization joined it. 
but wondered what else they could do to affect real change in meaningful ways. As a result, she and her team created the Engage Responsibly initiative with the ANA to combat hate speech online. Since launching, more than 90 leading marketers, agencies, media companies, social media platforms, trade groups, and NGOs have pledged to take definitive action to combat hate speech online. These are the kinds of real actions that affect real changes that today's consumers expect from the brands that they support. Number three, always remain data-led. A common query among marketing leaders is, how do I become data-driven while remaining creatively intuitive? As much as she values creativity, Pam cautions against being swept up in it. Pam even forces herself to be objective against the work she and her teams are executing, regardless of how emotionally tied to it they become. As she said, make your decisions based on data because that is the consumer response and consumer reaction. If it's not testing well and it's not delivering, we've got to go back to the drawing board and fix it. Anyway, guys, thank you as always for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with your friends and colleagues on LinkedIn? Don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Lippy Taylor. That's L-I-P-P-E-T-A-Y-L-O-R. And to learn more about us, visit us at LippyTaylor.com. Thanks again for listening to Frictionless Marketing. Thank you for listening to Frictionless Marketing. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to check out Paul's best-selling book, Friction Fatigue, What the Failure of Advertising Means for Future-Focused Brands. In Friction Fatigue, Paul explains to readers why advertising is broken and provides a frictionless marketing framework to help build your brand in an era where advertising is no longer the answer. You'll learn how to protect your business against competitors and lead the pack with fresh marketing strategies that will help you prepare for a future where the consumer rules. Friction Fatigue is now available on Amazon and as a book on tape on audible.com. Thanks again for listening.